chapter 1 today. All right, so we're going to camp out here for a while. We, I mean, we can take breaks as we need to for holidays and things like that, but I, I just want you to keep the mindset. We're going to be spending a lot of time with Jesus over uh, the next few months at least. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray as we start our time this morning. Father, may your spirit fill this room this morning and work in our hearts and our minds in such a way that we are ready to hear your word and respond to it. Help us to remove any distractions that's going on in our lives that would hinder us from hearing your word. Any sort of Objections that would stop us from responding to your word. May we simply hear it and have our hearts soak it in so that we might live by it. Give us understanding this morning by your spirit. Illumine our minds and our hearts so that we might become more like Jesus, more like the way you want us to live in this world. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we live in a world where the idea of God mixes in with our entertainment sometimes. I mean, you think of like uh, the Marvel Universe and all those superheroes. You have Thor, who's considered to be a god. Or you think of, this might be a little back in the past, but the movie Bruce Almighty, right? Right? I mean, I don't know if it's, what, 15, 20 years old now at this point, but Bruce Almighty, where he actually gets to become God, right? Or even if you look at some of religions around us, we have a Mormon religion that says you as a human being can become a God in your final state. And sometimes I fear that we can lose the significance of what, what, what this God language is supposed to actually sound like and how it's supposed to relate to us because we see it in all these weird ways in our society. And, and sometimes I fear that we can, as Christians, can become almost calloused to the idea of God because we see God portrayed in so many incorrect ways in all of these things in our culture. But I, I have some assurance as I stand before you this morning, I, I feel pretty sure that if any one of you were to hear somebody in your life, hear somebody come in the church or come into your job and make a claim that they are God, you would have red flags go up. I have that type of assurance that we're not so callous to it that if somebody were to make the claim to be God, you would be like, eh, how are you saying that? What kind of evidence or where is this coming from? And so that shows we have some sort of reverence still for this understanding of who God is. And rightly so, especially as believers, we should understand this and have this mentality. Because what we're going to see this morning is a bold claim. Something that really ends up getting all of the disciples in trouble in their lives. This claim that Jesus is God. That's the claim that John is going to make throughout the entire book, really, but especially in this first part. Everything else in the Gospel of John hinges on this being true. 
the miracles he does, the statements Jesus makes about himself, and then John slows down in the second half of the book to talk about Jesus' path to death and resurrection, all of it hinges upon Jesus is God. John's gospel is one of the, is the most unique one. You can actually follow through Matthew, Mark, and Luke and kind of see similar stories matching up with each other in theirs. John takes a different approach at it, and we'll see it even right here from the beginning. But John also develops a beautiful picture of Jesus that we're going to see why it's important that we spend time in it as we go through it. So, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Follow with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So right from the get-go, we have John making statements, linking Jesus with God, right? That's the first point here. Jesus is God, right? John 1, verse 1. In the beginning. What do you think of when you hear that? I would hope, as Christians, our mind goes back to Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning. That's what John's doing here. He did it on purpose. When he says, in the beginning, in John 1, he's saying, I want you to think back to Genesis 1. Because what's he say then? At the beginning of all of it was the Word. John's not starting his gospel like any of the other gospels. If you look at, especially Matthew and Luke, they trace Jesus' genealogy. They trace it back to David. They trace it back to Abraham. They trace it back to Adam. John just starts with, in the beginning was the Word. He's not tracing back through history. He's just saying, at the very beginning of all of it, like Genesis 1, there was Jesus. The assumption is that he was already there. Just like when you read Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God. You assume God was already there. John's implying the same thing here. In the beginning, Jesus was there. He was already there. Now, we can get confused because of the term he uses here, right? In the beginning was the word. Why would John use this? Why would John call Jesus the word? Because we know it's Jesus. We see later on in just the first chapter of John that this word takes on flesh, that John the Baptist bears witness about this word of who was to come after him, and he's actually named as Jesus. So we know this is Jesus, but why would he use this term? Well, if you go all the way back to Genesis, when God interacts with the world, how does he interact? By speaking. By the words, right? God created everything just by saying it. 
or throughout all of the Old Testament, when God promises to save people, how does he promise it? He speaks it. When God wants to speak to his people, what's he do? He sends a prophet to say, thus saith the Lord. This is the Lord's word. So what John's saying here is, in Jesus, we have God's word. The word. Right? There's, a, there's this element of finality to it. Right? There doesn't need to be prophets saying, thus saith the Lord anymore, because God has now come. Jesus, the Son of God, has now spoken to us, and this is the Word. God has revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus. Just take a look at some other verses that we have here in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And then if you go to Colossians chapter 1, it says, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. So you have Jesus as no longer these prophets, but God is now spoken by his Son, in this Son, the fullness of God dwells. You get what, what John's saying here. There's this moment of finality to, to God's word here, right? And it's true, because if you look throughout the rest of the New Testament, what's it about? It's pointing back to Jesus, or you have John, who has revelation pointing forward to Jesus. Everything from this point on, once Jesus enters the world, is about Jesus, Jesus is God's final word to his people, to the world. But then, going back to John 1, 1, we have, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. So while there's this element of Jesus is all the way back at the beginning, he's with God. There's this slight distinction John starts to make here, right? He starts to make it clear that he's with God. There's this relationship between the Word and God. So the Word is not some abstract thing, right? We know that. It's a person, but it's not the same person as God. There's this distinction that happens here, right? There's there's hints of what's going on here. Because think about it. You can't both be someone, and be with that someone at the same time. Unless you have multiple personalities. So John's creating this distinction here, and we're going to see this distinction kind of come to light more as we go through John's Gospel. The reality is, Jesus is God, but Jesus is the Son of God, right? So we have the Trinity, right? Now this is one of the hardest concepts for Christians to even start to try to grasp, but we have the Trinity, where we have three persons, one God. And so we see that coming out here. The Son, one of the three persons, is with the Father, but he also is God. Those two things work together. So we have that the Word is with God. But so as to not confuse anybody and say he's not totally separate, John now jumps to his main point. The Word was with God and the Word was 
God. This is what I said. This is the whole point of not just this first paragraph, but John's entire gospel. He wants people to see Jesus as the Son of God, as God. Jesus will even later say, I and the Father are one. So there's this unity between the Father and Son that they are the same substance, even if they're different persons. Why is this so important for John? Why would John make such a point here at the beginning to say Jesus is God? Because that's the hinge of everything Jesus does. Why does Jesus get killed? Because he blasphemes. Because he claims to be God. Because he claims that he can forgive sin. Because he can heal people and only God can heal people. Why do the disciples follow him? Is it because they know that he's God? Yes and no. We see in the whole gospel, all the gospels, the disciples don't quite understand throughout the whole process. Some of them it seems to all the way take till the resurrection before they finally start to get it a little bit. But there's also this element where Jesus is some sort of authority figure when he says, come follow me, and they come. So they see some element of authority to Jesus. Or why was Jesus able to die and raise from the dead? Only God has power over death. So you see, John is making a statement here that radically changes how his listeners are going to read the rest of the gospel. He's saying, this God, the God of Israel in the Old Testament, the God that has been silent for 400 years before Jesus came, Right? We know that. There are no prophets for 400 years from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New when Jesus comes. This God has been silent for 400 years. But there's been this promise of salvation in the Old Testament that there's going to be a Messiah that comes. There's going to be a Savior that comes. And John's saying, Jesus is here. And he's not just another prophet. He is God. I don't know if you all have ever dealt with this before, but when I was younger, if my brother came to me and said, Mom and Dad want you to do this, I often didn't listen when the information was relayed by my brother, right? If a sibling tells you you're supposed to do something, you're probably not going to listen. Now, some of you, maybe even if your parents told you, you weren't going to listen, but hopefully... If the parent actually directly comes to you, there's a little more substance, right, to it. There's a little more weight that it carries. That's what John's saying here. Jesus isn't just a messenger. This is God coming. This is God coming to the earth that he created. Jesus is God from the beginning. So, brothers and sisters, believing that Jesus is God radically changes your Christian life. The sad reality is that this belief, this idea of Jesus being God, that seems so clear here in John chapter 1, is fading in Christianity. There was a study that just came out in the last week or two by Ligonier Ministries, and they interview non-believers and believers alike. And these aren't just believers, these are 
people who call themselves evangelical believers, right? Those committed to the good news, the gospel. 30% of evangelical believers, people who claim to be evangelical believers, deny that Jesus is God. 30% have missed this. And that number is ever-increasing. But we have to realize that Jesus is God, and that means something. Jesus being God means that he has authority over everything that he's created. If he created it, he can do whatever he pleases to with it. So if you want to know the way that God wants you to live, what God intended for you, you have to look at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect image of how God meant for you to live in this world. So when you choose to look at the wrong things, to speak in an ungodly way, or devote your attention, your heart to earthly things, what you're saying is, Jesus isn't my authority. You're saying, I am. You're saying, I'm going to put myself in his place. Because I don't think he really knows the right way to live in this world in comparison to what I want in this moment. But also... Jesus being God means that you and I have salvation. Jesus being God, our salvation depends on that being true. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, all mankind entered the world as sinners. Nobody in this world was born into this world with a pure heart until Jesus Being God, Jesus was able to live a sinless life, which means when he dies as a sacrifice, he's the only acceptable sacrifice that God will take, because he's the only lamb without a spot. Only the one who knew no sin could take on sin for those who have sinned. So you see here, Jesus has to be God in order for you and I to be saved. Otherwise, he couldn't have lived a sinless life, which wouldn't have made him an acceptable sacrifice, which means our sin would have never been taken care of. Jesus being God means your salvation depends on that truth. And you don't get one without the other. You don't get to have Jesus' salvation, but ignore Jesus' authority. They go hand in hand with each other. But we see John flesh this creation element out a little bit as we go into the next verses. We see Jesus is God, but we see a little more detail on that. Jesus is creator. John continues with this connection to Genesis to make it clear that Jesus was involved in creation here. Look at verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Every single element in creation came about through Jesus. When we think of Genesis, we often think of God the Father, but John's saying here, it was Jesus. Paul will later say that all things in creation were made by him, through him, and for him. The one who has created the world is now entering the world. And there's two specific truths within that that John fleshes out. We see the first one is that Jesus is life. Verse 4. In him was life. 
Right? So as creator, Jesus is life. Jesus is the one who breathed life into Adam and Eve. Jesus is the one in whom life exists. He's the source of every physical life we have. But John will continue in his gospel to flesh this out, not just in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. Jesus will offer to people, I will give you living water. Or those who trust in the Son will have eternal life. So you see, Jesus takes this physical life, which is true, he's the source of all of that, but then John turns it, as Jesus did, and says, there's also an element of Jesus as the source of spiritual life. Jesus brings a message of life to a bunch of people who are dead, spiritually speaking. Right? Paul in Ephesians will say, we are all dead in our trespasses. Jesus brings a message of life. But then, continuing on in verse 4 and verse 5, we see that Jesus is light. So, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light that shines in darkness, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, we often think of creation, right? God says, let there be light. And so, it does link back to creation. Jesus gives light, but there's also a spiritual element over here, and John's going to flesh this out throughout his gospel too, is John's going to describe the life of people in this world as either living in the light or living in darkness. And so we're going to see that John has more in mind here than just a physical light, and that's made clear. He says, right, the life was the light of men. It's not just a physical light. It's not just that the sun shines because Jesus told it to. It's the reality that when Jesus enters the world, there's a spiritual light that's coming that's shining out on the darkness. Right, A world that was filled with sin, a world that's filled with darkness, and we still live in a world filled with sin and darkness. But wherever Jesus is, the light shines. And look what happens. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness hates the light. People love their sins to stay hidden. And when Jesus shines, when the truth shines forth, it exposes the darkness. Just think of it this way. Most of you probably dealt with multiple occasions of your power going out, right? Now, it happens at night, right? How dark is it? I would say pretty incredibly dark, right? You can't see your hand in front of your face, quite possibly, unless there's a really bright moon out that night. If you just light one candle, you see what one little bit of light can do to darkness, Right? I think sometimes we take light for granted because we have so much electricity and we have sunlight during the day that we forget that even the slightest little bit of light shines in the darkness. So when Jesus enters the world, a world filled with darkness, there's this light that's shining and the darkness begins to realize the rain that it thought it had will never be the same. Because now the light has come into the world. 
Brothers and sisters, remember that Jesus gave you life, and Jesus also shines light upon your life. It's hard for some of us to imagine that somebody knows us better than our family. It's hard to imagine that maybe somebody knows us better than our spouse or our kids or our brothers and sisters or our mom and dad. The reality is, Jesus as the source of life made you. He knit together every part of you. Parts that you may not have even realized yet. The way that your brain works that you may not fully understand. Jesus put it all together. But beyond that, Jesus is also the source of your spiritual life. He is the only way in which you get saved. So Jesus is a source of your physical and spiritual life. Jesus knows you better than anybody else. So when you need help in life to understand something, who else are you going to go to but to the one who knows you best? But Jesus also shines light upon your life. This is why many people who aren't Christians hate church and hate Christians because the closer you get to Jesus, the more light shines and exposes the darkness. Just think of it. If you're watching something on your phone or on TV that's not a godly thing, how many want to go run and read your Bible afterwards? Probably not, because that shines light on the darkness that was just going on. Or if you're, this one might be more true, if you're angry in public with your spouse or your kids and you're displaying that anger, and then all of a sudden somebody from church shows up, how instantaneously does that attitude switch? At least on the external, it shifts for a moment. Why? Because you see your brother and sister in Christ as light, and you're acting in darkness in that moment, and you don't want the light to shine on your darkness. It exposes it. But brothers and sisters, we have a choice to make. You can either choose to let darkness reign or to let light reign. Light exposure will be a painful process. When God shines light, when Jesus shines light on the darkest parts of our hearts, it's not an easy thing. But it's also the only way to live. It's the only way to let Christ convict our hearts so darkness can no longer reign. It's the only way to live in right relationship with the one who made us. It's the only way to live the way God intended for you to live, is to let the light shine on your darkness so that you can walk in the light. And then we see John keep this light language as he talks a little bit. We're not going to cover all of John the Baptist because we'll see all of him more so in later in chapter 1. But just catch a little bit here. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And then go down to verse 8. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Right? So God sends a man to bear witness about the light, to bear witness about Jesus. And it makes clear, John the Baptist is not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And the main thing I want us to see from here is verse 7. And we see the purpose of John bearing witness here. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John was a fulfillment of prophecy, but it wasn't a random 
prophecy. John the Baptist was witnessing about Jesus, the Jesus who was to come after him so that everybody who heard John the Baptist might follow him, might believe in Jesus. And we'll see if you go to the end of the gospel here in John chapter 20. It's not the very end, but it's towards the end. But if you go to John chapter 20, just listen to John's purpose of writing the gospel. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So John... The disciple begins and ends his gospel with the same purpose. That you might believe. That Jesus is God. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Christ. But not just that. That you might believe that. It's not just a mentally of nodding your head saying, yeah, I believe with that theological truth. We can't forget what it meant for John to write this gospel. This is John, the one who was persecuted, the one who was exiled to an island by himself to die because he believed this to be true. So when John says, believe this, he's not just saying, mentally agree with it and go about your day as normal. To believe Jesus is the Son of God means you reorient your entire life around that truth. It might be better for us to use a word rather than believe, but to use the word entrust your life or give your life. If I'm in the second story of our house and somebody calls me up and tells me there's a tornado on its way down the street, or, and I hear the sirens going off, and I say, I believe you, but I stay on the second story. Did I really believe the person? Either I believe them, and I don't really care about the safety of myself or my family, or I didn't believe them. So you got three decisions. Believe and act on it. Believe and don't really care, or you don't believe. John the Baptist and John the disciple are both saying, Jesus is God. Believe. So brothers and sisters, the truth of Jesus, as we'll see in the entire gospel, will expose your unbelief and will encourage your belief. First, your unbelief will be exposed. You will see areas of your life where you have failed to entrust yourself to him. Whether it's your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, whether it's at home, at your job, or in your community, your unbelief is going to be exposed when the light shines. But here's the beauty. As the light shines and your darkness is exposed, you can respond with belief. You can entrust that area of your life that's been exposed over to Jesus and let him guide you in what it means to walk in the light. But also, your belief will be encouraged. The areas in your life where you are trusting in Jesus should be strengthened 
While the world is saying, trust this, or here lies your hope, you will be assured that your hope lays upon Jesus. Though it's not always an easy thing to believe this truth, you can find rest knowing that your life, your hope, rests on Jesus. Jesus, who is God. The one who created everyone. The one who created everything. The one who is the source of light. The one who is the source of life and light. So anybody who has unbelief, who completely doesn't believe in Jesus, let me remind you, this morning, Jesus is God. The way that you respond to him is the way that you respond to God. And John is calling each and every one of us to believe in Jesus. The Jesus who made you, the Jesus who is the light shining. Entrust yourself to him. And for those of us in here who believe, may our hearts be strengthened with the assurance that Jesus is God. That he is the source of everything, all life, all light. That our faith is sure when our faith rests in the Jesus whom we believe is God. Let's pray together. Father, though this is a truth that we have heard maybe for years and understand that you know the Bible does claim that Jesus is God, that we have believed that, sometimes our hearts can not function in day-to-day life as if that's true. So work in our hearts this morning and expose areas of darkness and unbelief so that we might hand those over to Jesus. So that we might feel convicted in the areas where we don't live as if Jesus is God. Have your spirit give us understanding on how to understand our hearts and how they're working and what it is we're chasing after in life. And may we make the same decisions the disciples did to follow Jesus, to believe in him, but not just a mental belief, but a belief that reorients the way that we live each and every day. May this truth of Jesus being God resonate in our hearts, not just this week, but as we go throughout the weeks of studying this gospel. May we realize that the way Jesus interacts with the world is the way we were meant to interact with the world. And may we live accordingly. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.